Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 9. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I got a brief introduction for you, because we got a lot to cover. There's a saying among the ancients that all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. As a matter of fact, there's still that saying today that all roads lead to Rome. And in Paul's day, listen, all roads did lead to Rome. You see, Rome in Paul's day was militarily, economically, and politically the epicenter of the world. It was the capital of the empire. All roads did lead to Rome. And listen, saints, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, theologically, all roads lead through Romans. What do you mean, Rodney? Listen. And are you getting this as we're going through the book? Every essential doctrine concerning our salvation is touched on and talked about in the book of Romans. Every question that people would have concerning salvation is dealt with in the book of Romans. And that is why Martin Luther called the book of Romans the chiefest of all books of the Bible. The cheapest of all books of the Bible. You know, there was an early church father, and his name was John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom. He was an early church father. And he was also known as the golden-throated orator. And the reason he was known as the golden-throated orator was because his teachings were so incredible that people, as he would teach, people would applaud after every so many words. And so one day he got very frustrated, and one Sunday morning he gave this long exhortation as to why the people should not applaud after his teaching. And he said it so eloquently that when he finished, the people were so moved that they applauded. (laughs) John Cassostrom was so convinced of the importance of the book of Romans that he had it read to him once a week, every week, the entire book. Once a week, every week, for 40 years. He was convinced that this book is important. And we know this book is important. Amen? Last week, where you're with us, I gave you the outline that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And um, let me just kind of give it to you again, if you will. In chapter 9, as we'll be dealing with, and prayerfully we'll, we'll close today, chapter 9 deals with Israel's past election. You know that. 
And then in chapter 10, it deals with Israel's present rejection. Israel's past election, we're talking about in chapter 9. Israel's present rejection, we find that in chapter 10. And then finally, we'll talk about chapter 11 deals with Israel's future reception. Israel's past election, chapter 9, present rejection, chapter 10, and future reception in chapter 11. Now, again, as I gave you last week, the book of Romans divides logically into three sections. Chapters 1 through 8 deal with the principles of salvation, or you might want to call that doctrine, Bible students, doctrine, the principles of salvation. And then you fast forward to chapter 12 through 16, and it deals with the practicals in salvation, and that deals with duty. So you got the principles of salvation, doctrine, and the practicals in salvation, duty, and sandwiched between chapters 1 through 8 and chapters 12 through 16, we have chapters 9 through 11. As I told you last week, many Bible scholars feel that chapters 9 through 11 are an interruption. And they say that they're out of place or that they're parenthetical, if you will. And we talked about last week that I don't believe that chapters 9 through 11 is an interruption. As a matter of fact, I think chapters 9 through 11 is complementary, watch this, and necessary in order for you to completely understand the entire book of Romans, specifically chapters 1 through 8. What do you mean, Rodney? Because chapters 1 through 8, listen, chapters 1 through 8 deal with salvation, Chapters 1 through 8, we've been talking about the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God in salvation as it relates to the Jew and the Gentile. So this is why chapters 9 through 11 is important and essential to the flow of the book of Romans, because we've been talking about salvation in chapters 1 through 8. Chapters 9 through 11 deal with Israel and what God thinks and feels in Israel's election rejection and reception you're still with me say amen. amen and if we want to know about the security of our salvation because we left off in chapter 8 talking about what shall separate us from the love of God if we want to know that God's word is true if we want to know that God's promises are sure how shall we know, Gentiles, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God? How will we know that? Well, if we want to know that we Gentiles are secure, are you listening? That we Gentiles are secure in our salvation, then all we have to do is look at what God has to say about the Jew. If you want to know that you're secure. If you want to know that there's nothing that shall separate you from the love of God, and you want to know about the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God, all you have to do is look at the Jew. If you want to know, Christian, listen, that God will see you through, look at the Jew. I worked on that all week. How <laughs> did I know I was a rapper? Somebody need to put that to a beat. You want to know, you got to see you through. Look at the Jew. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I woke up at 4.30 this morning. I, 
Don't know what's going to happen here. And so what we talked about last week, now listen, so much goes for the brief introduction. History, we talked about last week, validates God's sovereignty. Remember we said history validates God's sovereignty as you look at Jacob and Esau. God chose Jacob, right about verse 13, God chose Jacob and not Esau in chapter 8. And and there are those, pardon me, in chapter 9, verse 13. And there are some people who will say, well, you know what, that's not fair. What if I'm not an Esau? Or what if I'm not Jacob? What if I am Esau? What if I'm the one who the Lord doesn't choose? It's not fair, some might say. It seems the dice are loaded. Well, Paul, listen, answers that question in the coming verses. With that said, saints, Romans chapter 9, we'll pick up right at verse 14. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Or perish the thought. Or God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills. Would you underline verse 16? It is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention to the one who would accuse God of being unrighteous because of his election we've been talking about. Paul says that's, first of all, ridiculous. Paul says, certainly not. God forbid, God is never unrighteous. Because God's sovereignty, listen, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because God's sovereignty never excludes God's mercy. Amen. God's sovereignty never excludes God's mercy. God is saints. Listen, God is sovereign. What does that mean, Rodney? Listen, here's a clear, simple definition for the word sovereignty. It means God does whatever he chooses. It's as simple as that. One of the best definitions you will find in the Bible as it relates to God's sovereignty is found in Psalm 115, right about verse 3. As a matter of fact, it's on the screen for you. Would you read it with me? Psalm 115, verse 3 reads, But our God is in heaven. No, everybody read. But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. That is the best definition in the Bible for the word sovereignty. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. So God is sovereign. But in that sovereignty, understand there's always mercy available. If you're here this morning, listen, and you don't know Jesus as your savior and your Lord. Listen, God's sovereignty is not holding you outside of his love. Amen. God's sovereignty is not. Now, talking about the sovereignty of God and talking about the mercy of God, Paul reaches back and chooses Moses as an example. Look at verse 15. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Now, we all know our Bible stories and we've learned a lot of theology from the book of Exodus and from the Prince of Egypt. (laughs) This was a great movie. And you remember in the story, and you've been around here on Wednesday nights, you know, 
Give me your attention. The book of Exodus, the people of God had made their way out of Egypt, remember? And the Red Sea parted. Pharaoh's army was swallowed up in the Red Sea. The people wandered around in the wilderness. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night led them. God did some awesome miracles. His shoes didn't even wear out for 40 years. Wouldn't that be awesome, parents? <laughs> Wave at me, parents. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? It's like, I don't have to buy you another pair of shoes for 40 years. And by then you'll be grown. You can buy your own shoes. <laughs> and God took care of them. That's my point. And he fed them with manna. So I read somewhere that it said that the manna had to come in 40 ton increments each day. 40 tons of manna every day. God did some awesome miracles. As they traveled through the wilderness, water from a rock, God cared for them and God took care of them. So you know the story. Moses is up on the mountain to receive the law. And on his way back down, listen, Moses said, what's that noise I hear in the camp? And God said, Moses, those are your people. And Moses said, no, God, they're your people. <laughs> Moses said, no, they're your people. No, they're your people. They, 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 Moses and God are trying to hand Israel off. Nobody wants to take ownership of these people. So Moses hears a sound. He gets down to the bottom of the mountain, and he finds that Israel is having a party. And they are doing the Macarena around a golden calf. <laughs> and Moses walks up to Aaron. Don't you know the story? Moses walks up to Aaron. And he says, Aaron, what are you doing? What is going on here? Now, keep in mind that Aaron is the, is the high priest. He is the leader of the lineage of the priestly tribe, of the priestly people. So Moses comes up to Aaron. He says, Aaron, what are you doing? I was reading this this morning in my devotion. And it's an interesting story because you find out as you read the story that Aaron the whole worship of the calf thing was actually his idea. Moses, what are you doing? Aaron says, well, I don't know, man. I mean, look, Mo, you were up there with God. And, you know, you were there a really long time. We got bored. So I, you know, I just said, hey, let's just break off some earrings from the guys and the girls. And throw the goal in the fire. And Moses, man, I'm, a calf just popped out. I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> it's like the lamest excuse ever in the scriptures, you know. And, and Aaron's probably standing there looking at Moses like, believe me? <laughs> and Moses said, and, and God said, God said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill him. I, I'm getting get out of the way. I'm going to kill him. It was at that point. You know, the story It was at that point that Moses, the Bible says, pleaded with God not to judge them. And God said, OK, I'll show you mercy. I'll show mercy to whom I will show most mercy. Now, listen, here's the point. The point is the people didn't deserve mercy. They deserve judgment. You understand? No one ever deserves mercy. You understand? We all deserve judgment, 
But God shows mercy. In other words, it's not about, here's the point God's making even in that story. So you guys got to see grace as you're going through the Bible. You can't miss grace. Because although they deserved judgment, God showed them mercy. And God was teaching them right up front that this whole grace thing and this whole election thing is not about the one who wills or the one who runs. But it has everything to do with the sovereignty of God. It has nothing to do with you. The Jewish people are not God's chosen people because they were wonderful people. Remember last week we pointed out that Abraham, Father Abraham, was an idol-worshiping Gentile when God called them to separate a people unto himself. So verse 16 in our Bibles, go ahead and look at it again. It says, so here's the point. It's not about works. God's election has nothing to do with works. It's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, nor of him who sweats or works, but is of God who shows mercy. You see that? Let's pick up, move forward. Talking about mercy, sovereign mercy on the other side of God's sovereign mercy. Listen, he's a sovereign judge. Look at verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills, he hardens. Well, you say to me, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Underline that in your neighbor's Bible. <laughs> Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Or what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he did, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but he also called the Gentiles. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. So Paul says to Israel, God sovereignly elected you and showed mercy to you and gave gifts to you. We talked about last week. And God pardoned you. But at the same time, listen, that God pardoned them, he punished Pharaoh. Verse 17 in your Bibles lets us know that God says, I'm going to show how powerful I am. I'm going to raise Pharaoh up and put him down that all the earth throughout history will know of God's power. Again, saints, listen, give me your attention. I draw your attention to Exodus chapter 7. As God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him, remember God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him what, saints? Let my people go. Remember that? And the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now listen close. Turn on your brain. Very important. In the Hebrew language, there are three different Hebrew words when it talks about that Pharaoh hardened his heart or the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Three different Hebrew words. One of them means to simply harden. The second one means to make heavy, not budging. 
The last one means to make firm or stiff, which is what you do to yourself. You want to notice the progression from hard to heavy to stiff. Now, this word harden is used 20 times in the book of Exodus as it relates to Pharaoh. Interesting enough, listen, 10 times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And 10 times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Listen, when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, this is very important for you to understand. When the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that would be the Hebrew word that implies that his heart was made firm. His heart was made stiffened and it was something that Pharaoh did to himself. And God allowed Pharaoh to take the position that he had already chosen. By the time that the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, he had many times to repent up until that point. God was doing everything he could because God is always doing everything he can to reach people with his mercy and grace. And God was doing everything he could. Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Well, then here comes the frogs. And you would think that Pharaoh would buy a clue. If there's frogs coming out of your bed, you open the microwave and frogs are popping out. You would think, wow, this must be God. I better repent. Or all the water in Egypt turns to blood. And when the Bible says all the water, listen, all the water, even in the pitchers that they were drinking water out of, turned to blood. So there's a pitcher of water on the nightstand. What is whatever? And, 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 and you take it and you pour some water to get yourself a drink and blood comes out. You would think that Pharaoh would say, you know what? I think I'll repent. But he didn't. And because he didn't buy a clue and realize, understand, he had saw the miracles of, of God and he had heard the word of God. And he had every opportunity to repent. And after you continue to listen, listen, after you continue to harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart, after seeing the miracles of God and seeing the blessings of God and see and hearing the word of God, and you continue to harden your heart, then God will allow you to take the position that you have already chosen. God's not the big ogre in the sky making people harden their hearts so he can be evil to them. He can be the big bad meanie. God wants to show mercy, but people refuse. And doesn't this sound just like Romans chapter one? As the people continue to profess themselves to be wise, they became fools and their hearts became hard and they rebelled against God. And they continue to rebel against God till the book of Romans tells us that God turned them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are unseemly. Don't you understand? You cannot continue to harden your heart as God continues to knock. Hey, repent. I want to save you. I want to do a work. Hey, I'm trying to get to you. Yeah, God, I got places to go, people to see, things to do. I'm not home, God. I'm too young. Don't you understand, the more you harden your heart against God, the easier it becomes the next time. 
And God allowed Pharaoh's heart to be hardened because that was the position. Because God is a gentleman. And if that's the position that you want to take, that's the position that God will allow you to take. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God raised him up, the Bible says, to put him down. But God also knew that Pharaoh's desire was to be hard against God. So then in verse 19, I got to move forward. Then look at it in verse 19. Then somebody, someone might say then, why does God still find fault? Who can resist his will? So some will say, listen, Rodney, if he chooses some and rejects others, if God just kills the guys that he doesn't like and saves the ones that he does, then what's the point? Who can have a chance? And I love Paul's response. Did you see it? Paul's response right there in verse 20. You're looking at it. Paul says, who are you to reply against God? Or in the Greek language, who do you think you are? Don't you just love that? Now, listen, this is a very important question. Listen, Bible students, this is a very important question. If you're going to go on with the argument, who are you to reply against God or who are you to argue with God? You know, it makes me think of Job chapter 38 as God listened to Job. You ought to read that in your quiet time. Job 38. As God listened to Job argue for some time. And then God finally said, Job, come here. Job, come here. I'm going to talk and you are going to listen. And God went on to say to Job, God said, Job, where were you when I put the stars in place? Job, God said, when is the last time you told the day to start with morning? Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you, God said, when I hung the planets? Job, God said, tell me about the measures of rain and hail. Job, tell me how I set the boundaries of the sea. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.